Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Joe Wiltshire. I'm the Senior Minister here. And if you're new and visiting, we're really glad you're here. If you're a regular at these uh, Christmas Eve services, welcome back. And if you're a regular church, well, welcome. Yeah, you were here probably last week as well. So uh, we're going to look at the Bible now in that passage in uh, Galatians chapter 4. Let me pray before we begin. Uh, Father, we thank you that you speak to us. And we thank you that uh, Christmas is upon us and that we remember that you are the great God who not only speaks, but you've come into the world and we've met you face to face. Help us to know exactly what that means and help us to understand why we are to rejoice and the, the freedom that you have bought for us in Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. Well, I thought it would be a little bit interactive tonight, uh, do a bit of sh uh, show of hands for a couple of different questions. Um, so put up your hand if uh, you've had or you're planning to have a roast uh, for Christmas this year, okay? Roast turkey, uh, roast pork, um, anyone going roast beef, just a bit novel, you know, kind of, oh, a couple of people, there you go. Uh, who's had a ham, a baked ham, uh, that kind of thing, you know, kind of thing? Delicious. I used to hate ham, but no, I like it. Anyway, yeah, good. Um, yeah. Uh, who's received a Christmas card yet from someone? Okay. Well, the, the vast majority of people. Okay. Uh, did any of those Christmas cards have a snowman on them or a, a winter scene? You know, Alps, uh, maybe a reindeer, maybe with a red nose, maybe uh, that kind of thing. So isn't it weird? Here we are in what's normally a Christmas time stinging hot country, uh, although apparently we've turned Northern Hemisphere this evening. Uh, but we have this inbuilt view of Christmas that, that that's what is proper. The weather's cold and snowy. We're, we're just kind of culturally conditioned to it. It's just normal for us. And yet if you could stand back and take a, a hard, honest look at that kind of thing, you'd say we were crazy. It's not snowing. It may be a little bit colder than it normally is, but it's hardly the French Alps out there. Uh, hot roasts, snow scenes, sleighs and rainy. Uh, most of us don't even give it a second thought that that's just normal Christmas fare. See, when you're born into something, into a culture, you just think it's normal and uh, no one else would do anything different to what we're currently doing. No matter how bizarre or how strange it is to the outsider, when you're born into a culture, your mind is shaped by it and it controls you. You're taken in by, by what everyone else around you thinks is normal and acceptable, even if it's a completely stupid thing like uh, baking a hot roast on a, on a Christmas sunny afternoon. You think about some of the pop culture things from during this year. Uh, I told uh, some people that I had to get some of the pop culture references in because I'm hip. Uh, <laughs> things that have happened that you sort of have dominated people's minds through the year. Uh, millions of people, uh, people walking around with their mobile phones around the neighbourhood, uh, staring at them. That's, that was normal beforehand, but but looking for you know, invisible animals that aren't really there uh, kind of thing. 21 million people at its height were playing Pokemon Go. There you go. Uh, anyone here want to a bit to Pokemon Go? Okay. A few, a few people. Uh, kind of thing. Uh, it's a cultural phenomenon. Uh, what's this? <laughs> yeah. 
they thought I thought I'd be really cool, but apparently that was two months ago, and so doing it now, you're like so out of date, you know. But but what has Southern American rappers got to do with this? I have no idea. Through American footballers, and why are people in Australia doing that? We just sort of people are doing it all around. It's popping up on internet videos all over the place. Uh, what other fads have there been this year? Uh, adult colouring in. That has become the rage amongst particularly middle-aged women. Uh, there you go. You get a colouring in book and uh, you sit there while you're watching TV colouring in. Uh, it's the new hip cool thing, apparently. <laughs> and, and it's kind of strange that these things capture the community and the, and the society. While these things might be harmless fun much of the time, I think there's a deeper significance to, to these kind of fads uh, there's a significance of joining in because it's really about belonging. Do you belong to this culture, to this group? Are you young and hip enough to be Pokemon going? Or you know, are you part of this group? Are you part of this nation, this movement? And whatever the cultural group might happen to be, are, are you part of us or not? Now, you see more extreme and worrying versions that in gang mentality and in terror attacks, and we've had the awful news this week in Canberra, uh, and then the, the, well, I suppose it's good news, of the police raids in Melbourne stopping what could have been the worst terror attack in Australia's history. Uh, you know, they were planning to blow up some significant sites, uh, and the police have done a good job in stopping that. But it's the same kind of thing, that it's kind of group think, that we're all in it together doing something, even if everyone else thinks it's crazy. Imagine if you were born in a prison. Imagine being born in a prison. Uh, being born in prison would be a pretty hard way to start life. But what would it be like if you were born there? Your whole view of the world and of life, what would be normal, what would be abnormal, would be very strange if that's where you grew up. If you were born into a prison, well, for you, bars would be normal. Okay, that you, scheduled meals would just be typical. You know, food served on polystyrene things with plastic knives and forks. That would be the normal cutlery. Uh, you know, ten hours a day in a three by three cell with a, a giant tattooed man named Bubba. I mean, what what you think your experience would be would normal to you? It wouldn't occur to you to think otherwise that that is abnormal. You think of the poor child born back in 1788 to convict parents. In Australia, they were growing up in a prison, but they just thought it was normal. Growing up for him or her at that time would be thinking the world was full of chains and guards and road gangs and soldiers. That would be normal. And what would be abnormal would be the information that mum and dad provided you about a country far away across the world where it was snowing this time of year and where they ate roast most days uh, and where it never stopped raining except at Christmas time where it snowed. <laughs> And you'd find that unbelievable. That, that kind of world doesn't exist. That's abnormal. It would be hard to believe that you were a slave when they told you that, that you were a prisoner in a foreign land. And yet that is precisely the kind of thing that the Bible says about us as human beings. And even more surprisingly, it says that is the reason for Christmas. And I want to show it to you from the earliest written description of Christmas, the earliest passage about Christmas uh, in the New Testament, Galatians chapter 4. You might be more familiar with the Gospels, uh, where they recount the kind of the facts of what happened in a lot more detail, angels and shepherds, wise men and so on. But Galatians chapter 4 is the earliest part of the New Testament that I can find which mentions the Christmas story. It's about the birth of Jesus. 
and why he came into this world and why, why we celebrate it. And what it says, what the Bible says, what Christmas is in fact about, is that Jesus Christ was born to free slaves, to free prisoners. In fact, not just to free them, but to make them become heirs of all of God's kingdom. That's the Christmas message. And I just want to show you very briefly tonight from Galatians chapter 4. And you'll see how it develops. He makes three claims through there. Number one, that we are slaves. We are prisoners. Convicts, if you like. Second thing he claims is that Jesus was born to buy us out of slavery. But third and most incredibly, we're brought out of slavery to become God's children and heirs of heaven, heirs of God's kingdom. And I'm just going to take us through very quickly uh, that that's what it says in Galatians chapter 4. So first of all, it says we are slaves. And it's not the kind of harmless slavery of dabbing and of Pokemon going. Um, it's a much worse slavery. That's the first point that Paul makes about the Christmas story. We're slaves. Where do you see that? You see it in verse 3 there in Galatians chapter 4. Um, he says this, So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of this world. Now, by children there, he's talking about that time uh, before coming to understand and accept all that Jesus has done. Uh, before Paul's friends in Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey, had accepted Jesus as their Lord and Saviour and become his followers. And he's saying that when we were like that, having a childish misunderstanding of reality because we were born into it when we thought it was normal, we were in fact in slavery, in prison. We were trapped. What were we in slavery to? He says slavery to the basic principles of this world. Now, that phrase comes up a few times in the Bible. It's used uh, always to mean the wrong ways that we think about life, the wrong ways we think about the universe, the wrong ways we think in particular about God, especially about who God is and how to get his attention. And the Bible describes any number of wrong ways to think about God and come to God. And those wrong ways are the very things we become slaves to, they are the basic principles of this world. Basic principles like scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. That's a basic principle of this world, isn't it? There you go. You be good to me, then I'll be good to you. Uh, it's true that people do relate to each other in that kind of way, but when you apply that to the relationship with God, it's completely false. It's a lie. It's wrong. And yet, you know, we get ahead in business that way by you scratching my back and me scratching yours. Sadly, it happens in many relationships, you know, that I'll be good for you if you do good to me. And in our families, it's a basic principle, you know, uh, that we treat each other that way. And we, we might be tempted. In fact, it's natural to think that getting right with God is like that, that we'll do something good for God and then he'll look after us. Just give a bit of money to the church or to the poor. I'm all for giving money to the church. I mean, don't we say you never do that, but but yeah, you put in an appearance now and again, and yeah, we've scratched God's back, and so it'll be His turn in the future to scratch ours. But it's wrong. That's a basic principle of this world that many are slaves to. Or what about just let your your good outweigh your bad? Well, not only will Santa bring you presents, but God will be kind to you. <laughs> Uh, that's a basic principle of this world, which is completely wrong when it comes to being right with God, that God has a pass mark. As long as you achieve that pass mark, you'll be okay. It's wrong. 
It's a basic principle as well that leads to slavery and then to condemnation. Or the more pious version, you know, that you have to earn your way with God by religious ritual and sacrifice and observance. That you've got to prove to God by a lifetime of service and sacrifice that you really, truly love him uh, or else he'll push you away. Which unfortunately is like the way many families operate. Um, that you have to continually prove that you belong in the family and you have to come groveling back when you stuff up or you're being kicked out of the family. Some of you may be experienced the pain of that this Christmas. And yet we all naturally think in those kinds of ways when it comes to God. We've imbibed the natural religious culture of this world that, that we're all right and if we work a little bit, we'll be all right. That, those are the basic principles of this world that we're slaves to, whether, whether we come from an Islamic background or whether we come from an Eastern background and thinking about karma and, you know, you do good now and good will come to you. Or as the Ocker Australians who just grow up with a she'll be right kind of attitude, God will look after me, yeah, kind of thing. <laughs> and it's all like thinking that the bars of a prison are just normal that we're actually free. It's wrong. What we are is slaves. We're slaves to that way of thinking which covers up an even greater slavery that we find ourselves in according to the Bible and that is a slavery to sin and because of that a slavery to death, a slavery to sin. You know, we, we not only sin but we can't help doing it. Has anyone ever actually tried to be perfect? Uh, anyone think they are perfect at the moment <laughs> kind of thing we had uh, one kid at the 7 o'clock service put up his hand at this point and uh, looked at his mum and said eh? and she's like eh? <laughs> his brother was sitting next to him shaking his head I said alright how about you try and be perfect uh, for the, do you reckon you could do 2017 and he said no no. what about the rest of 2016 it's not long to go and he went no what about the rest of the night he went no. <laughs> and I looked at his brother and said, yeah, that's right. You know, He's going to upset you in the next hour, isn't he, while you're sitting here in church. He's like, eh? And you're going to get really grumpy with him, aren't you, and hit him. And he's like, eh? <laughs> like, we just, we couldn't do it if we tried. You know, the, think about it. How, living perfectly, no lies, no language, no hate, you know, I'm going to be perfectly good in all my morals, in all my thinking, in all my actions, because that's what it would take to be right with a perfectly holy God who can tolerate no evil. And we're slaves, therefore, to death, which in this world is God's punishment on sinners, so that we cannot go on in open rebellion against him forever, which is actually what the heart of sin is. You know, God's okay as long as he doesn't tell me what to do or interfere in my life, but but death is God interfering with us. It's God's punishment on our race and we are trapped. We cannot get out of it. No cryogenic suspension, no modern medicine is going to stop death from happening or the consequences afterwards. There is no magic elixir to life. The philosopher's stone is not real. And there's no way to religiously work our way out of it. Paul explains we have been born as convicts, as slaves, as members of a chain gang. We are in prison. Uh, but because we're born into it, it just seems normal. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a prison. Where's these chains I'm supposed to be surrounded by? Uh, 
You know, the cell doors, I don't see them. The, the food's pretty good. Roast turkey doesn't sound like prison food to me. Yeah, it kind of sounds pretty tasty. Yeah. Our experience is the, the experience of convicts who never knew any differently. The second claim the passage makes is that at Christmas, God sent Jesus to buy us out of that slavery. At Christmas, God sent Jesus to, to free us as prisoners. Where do you see that? Verse 4. But when the time had fully come, that is at just the right moment in history, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law. See, that's the Christmas message in a nutshell, isn't it? When the time had fully come, when God said, this is the moment, it's time to fulfil all of my promises that I've ever made, all I've ever wanted to do, what did he do? He sent his son. And we're talking about the coming of Jesus. Jesus, who is God, who sat in glory for all eternity. He came at the direction of his father. He came here, but he wasn't just zapped down. You know, he didn't appear in a bubble of time like Arnie nude, you know, as a Terminator in that bubble thing and then, you know, go into the weird gay bar. But anyway, that's kind of Terminator too. But he was born. God was born. It's astonishing. Born of a woman. God sent his son, born of a woman. Now, we know the woman, we know the story. Mary engaged to Joseph, still a virgin. She's told she'll have a son, that he give him the name Jesus, which means God saves, because he's going to save us from our sins. Uh, he'll be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. That is, God come as a human. He was born into our world, into our condition, into our prison. Why? To redeem us from it. To redeem something means, means to, to buy it back, to purchase it, to, to purchase freedom for slaves. You, you could pay for their life to be yours. You know, or when you're short of cash, more familiar example, you go down to one of the many, many pawn shops in Ingleburn. It's, it's like a blight on our landscape in our town, I reckon, that we have so many. Um, but you go down there and you swap your good watch or your, your, uh, your, your nice guitar or Dave's nice guitar that I've been playing over there. Uh, or, or that dinky little scooter that you're still riding around on, you know, and you, you swap it for money because you're short of cash and then you, you, you spend that money on the bills and things. But if you make up the money later, you can go back down there and redeem the item. You can purchase it back. Um, and then, you know, put your watch back on or you can look very silly riding around town on your dinky little scooter again as a grown man uh, of 43. Uh, not that I'm admitting to anything, but... God doesn't redeem people from a pawn shop. He redeems them from slavery to sin, from slavery to death, and he pays to have them back. He redeems them, he buys them back from slavery to their foolish and wrong ideas, he, he, from their slavery to sin, their slavery to death, slavery to condemnation and judgment, and the price that he pays for that redemption is incredibly high. The price was his life. Jesus' life for ours. God sent Jesus to take the, the cross, to take our punishment for what you and I deserve, to bear the guilt and shame, to pay for us, to come back to God. We don't deserve it. No amount of scratching God's back would ever earn it. God has paid in full. It's not about earning it's, it's, or any of those other wrong things that we naturally think are the right way to be right with God. Because none of them ever come close to dealing with the problem. That's why God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law. Why we celebrate Christmas? Because God purchases sinners back for himself. 
But not only does he kind of just buy them out of slavery, he does something even more incredible. And that's the third claim the passage makes. Third and most incredibly, we're brought out of slavery in order to become God's children, to come into a relationship with the creator of the universe, with the one who owns us, and we become his children and therefore heirs of his kingdom. And so here, so also when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who cries out, Abba, Father, that is Daddy, Father. So you're no longer a slave but a son. And since you're a son, God has made you also an heir. See, God's not just interested in having a whole lot of ex-slaves hanging out around him. He purchases us out of slavery so that we can become his children, his sons and his daughters. That's about relationship with God. That's why rituals and things will never do it because they've got nothing to do with relationship. We're his sons and daughters and we might have the full rights of heaven. Then we might stand before him as family, as his kids. That we might not only be forgiven ever our rebellion, but have this whole new relationship with him as our loving um, uh, father, as we, his obedient and caring, blessed children. And that's, that's why he gives those who are saved, who's redeemed, the Holy Spirit to be with us and, and help us to call him father. God is not like my father. God is my father, my father in heaven. God is my father and if I'm one of his. And you see the last thing he says, so you're no longer a slave but a son and since you're a son, God has made you an heir. They're a Christian, a, a true believer, a person who's been redeemed by God by the purchase price of his son, a person who understands they've been rescued from their slavery to false ideas, to sin, death and judgment. The person has therefore been made into a son of God. He's now an heir of heaven, an heir of of all the promises of God, an heir of eternity, an heir of God's kingdom, an heir of God who will receive the inheritance of heaven one day. An heir is an heir by virtue of relationship and never by earning. You cannot pay anything to become an heir of the throne of England. Right? You become an heir of the throne of England because you're a child of the Queen. Right? Like him or hate him, Charles is in next in line for the throne. He is the heir. Right? He didn't choose it, he didn't make it, he, he just gets to be it because of who he's in relation to his mum. Uh, you know, you are your parents' son or daughter. You had no say in the matter, at least I take it none of you had any say in the matter. <laughs> and while your parents might disown you, you never get to qualify yourself for the inheritance. In fact, the one thing you can do to speed up getting your inheritance is the one thing you'll do that means you'll never get the inheritance. Bump your parents off. You don't get anything then. Are you a child of God? You might have come this evening because, you know, the, the rain meant that your TV reception was no good and there was nothing better to do. <laughs> you might have come here uh, to please another member of the family. It's like, oh, here we go. She's making us doing it again. Yeah. <laughs> 
You might have come to earn another brownie point with God and stay in God's good books. I don't know. There are many reasons to come, but that's slave thinking. You might have come because you know the truth and you wanted to, your heart cheered again by the reminder of the true miracle of Christmas that Jesus Christ was born to free slaves, to become heirs of all of God's kingdom. But I tell you, no matter how you came or why you came tonight, you can leave here as a child of God as an heir of heaven, knowing him as your father and that you are truly his son or daughter. But to do that, you've got to admit the slavery. You know, let's not make any bones about it. We're slaves without Jesus. And no, that sounds depressing. It's actually fantastic news. There's no better news because once you know that you're a slave, then you know that there's forgiveness, that there's release, there's freedom, and you can come back to God and be his son or daughter and an heir of his kingdom. But it does take coming clean, fessing up to him, admitting the truth, and then putting your life in his hands. Have you ever put your life in God's hands? You cannot have the freedom. You cannot have the promises or the inheritance if you refuse to admit the truth. Don't be a child born in prison who thinks that the bars are normal and who thinks that the prison food is pretty good. It will only lead you to condemnation. Here is the freedom that God offers. Come to God and become one of his. Yeah, accept that you can do nothing of yourself and cast yourself on his mercy. Come and rely on his son who he sent in this world to free the slave, to become an heir, an heir of all of God's kingdom. That is the true joy of Christmas. Let me pray. Father, These are profound words about uh, the state of this world and of our hearts without you. Help us to know the truth of them, that we are slaves bound for judgment without the intervention of your son, Jesus Christ. But we thank you for your mercy, your love, that would pay his life for ours to redeem us not just to free us from our slavery, but to make us your children. We pray for those here who've never understood that, who've never become your children, please. We ask that tonight would be the night that they would fess up to where they're at and that they would come to you. They would know that you have paid and that there's nothing that can stand in the way. We pray for those who do know you, that. You are their father, that Jesus saved them. We pray that this will be a great time of rejoicing this time of year, of celebrating the, the miracle of salvation and that we have this new relationship with you. Help us to build on that relationship, to grow in that relationship, uh, to always persevere in it and want to, uh, to grow as your children into adulthood. And we thank you for the promise of heaven and of your kingdom that you guarantee for us who are your heirs. Thank you for your love and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.